0: So this is also, as has already been mentioned, the last Sunday of Advent, and uh, we've been engaging this really, really dense passage, this prophecy from Isaiah of about 730 B.C. And uh, so we're going to finish with the fourth name of God that Sadie, with a little help, uh, hung on the tree uh, a few minutes ago. So let's stand together and let's read this passage. Maybe today... Uh, if you'll just, I'll, I'll read it today, uh, and then you can just kind of take it in uh, as I read Isaiah nine, one to seven. The prophet writes, "There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress." That's worthy of just kind of sitting and taking in in its own right. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. Some translations read accurately Multiplied the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on David's throne over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this let's pray together Father we've sat with these words for these last four Sundays, many of us, Monday through Saturday as well. I pray that you would bring them into our lives in a way that would transform them from a romantic Christmas paragraph and bring the realities of which they speak Routinely into our lives, that we might begin seeing ourselves as carriers of the attributes of your great name, these great names, these descriptions that Isaiah foretold so many years ago. Would you shape us as people, as persons, into the kinds of people for whom these attributes flow? May we be your people. We know that we're broken. We'll continue to be so. But Father, we pray that increasing measure, we would know the peace of which you speak, of which you pledged. May it be ours, not for just our own well-being, we do care about that, but for your renown. We pray that you would make this so, as Mary prayed. May it be to us according to your word. We pray in Jesus' great name, his mighty name, his everlasting name, Jesus our Prince. Amen. You can be seated. So Isaiah is broadcasting a message of hope. And he's calling out faith. He's calling forth faith from people... 2700 years ago, and he's forth this kingdom, kingdom to come. A regime in which he says, there will be no more gloom, no more gloom, no more gloom. Light will displace darkness. This is a, a striking description, not just the two verses that so often you find in Christmas cards are worthy of that. But even these first five verses, I hope if you haven't yet had a chance to really let them speak into you this week, you'll find some time with them. Let them speak to your life. In this so poignant paragraph filled with so much promise, the prophet names one who would become the central figure of this empire, a ruler, a child to be born, a son to be given. Man, did he ever name him four times, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and today prince of peace. Last three Sundays, we've looked at these first three titles. How have they spoken to you? What have they been celebratory for you? How have they been meaningful for you? Throwing the question out there, surprising you. I might want to share, how has you found Christ to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father? Let's hear from a couple of you. Anybody got it? It's okay if you don't. But Jordan knows I'll call on him if you don't say anything. So, save Jordan. Say so.
1: We're planning on preparing after, and then just, just the different directions our church is going to take with that. that it's just very, it's very comforting to be reminded that he is a wonderful counselor. He knows it all. He's going to lead us and direct our path right. in ways that we will
0: never, ever be able to in our finite understanding. That's great. Thank God for that, too. Thank you, Katie. Yeah. Anybody else before we move on? I'd love to give someone an opportunity if it's, like, there. we want to pull it out. doesn't look like anybody's got that, like, I want, I think I should, but I don't want to look on their face, unless I'm missing you. Okay? All right, let's keep going. Today we're going to look at Prince of Peace. One who would rule a prince. We don't often think of Christ as prince, as much as we probably do king. A prince. Everywhere the prince rules, there's peace. Prince of Peace, a prince to the nations, a prince for the nations, a prince in and among the nations. This week I was dialoguing with Brian. Brian, you can come on up. And uh, Kayla, you don't know if you need to sit with your sister or not, but she's probably great. She looks good. Okay. Brian shares some insights he's had over the last few years actually on. Christ is Prince of Peace. And I was like, will you bring that to us today? So go for it,
1: Brian. uh, These three words have become pretty um, just meaningful and precious to me over the last three or four years and uh, for a variety of reasons. And uh, so I started really looking up and really meditating on the idea of Christ being the Prince of Peace. And um, I learned that back in Isaiah's time and the Old Testament, and even uh, you know the first thousand years after Jesus, that and even some today. But the main point is, like the prince, uh, the second in command of a kingdom uh, or an empire or whatever, would be given the authority that the king is given. That makes a lot of sense. That the the king can say something and the prince. Can have that same authority, but the thing that really struck me is that oftentimes the prince would carry out um, and be given the authority to, to do what the king wanted, and uh, he would be given have the authority to to give things and to take away things. And so, as I started to meditate on Christ being the Prince of Peace, it just hit me that that Christ is the one that has the authority. And he has the ability to bestow or give peace um, to us. And for so long, when I think of wanting peace and having peace, I think of like something I need to like obtain or arrive at or, or get to. But it hit me that with the authority that Jesus has, he gives us peace. And he not only gives us peace, but he bestows peace upon his people and upon this world. And so it it came from a different mindset for me that, that, that Christ, in his place as the Prince of Peace, that's who he is, has the authority and the ability and he bestows peace upon us. It's not something that we have to try to like make our lives ordered in a way that we have peace or make margins in our lives so that we can obtain peace, but Christ is the one who gives us peace because that's who he is.
0: Thank you, Brian. So Isaiah writes, there'll be no more gloom in the darkness. A light has dawned. For a handful of you, maybe for more than a handful, those words right there, no more gloom and a light has dawned, has the potential to be like the best news you've heard. Um, Those of you who struggle with discouragement, whether you're currently in a season that's discouraging or you have a history of personal discouragement, even depression in your life. So how do those phrases affect you, if that's you? No more gloom. A light has dawned in the midst of darkness. Can you envision your life in which that would be true? Gloom has ended. There's no end to personal peace. What if that became your reality, gloom being transformed into joy? Light dispelling darkness. What kind of price tag would you place on that for you personally? Maybe you've even given up thinking that's possible for you. Well, I want to address that in a few minutes we have. The ancient writings of Scripture are filled with confessions of peace from the people of God. We don't have time. I mean, if you, if you like do a word search for peace in the Bible, you're going to find about 240 uh, instances. So we're not going to have time. And you'll thank me for that, going through all those. But we're going to do a couple. Psalm 4, the psalmist writes, In peace I will lie down and sleep. If you struggle with anxiety or depression, you know that's a great gift, to sleep. In peace I lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 29, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. God also pledges peace. I want you to really hear these words from another prominent prophet, Jeremiah, chapter 33. He wrote, I will bring, this is God speaking, I will bring health and healing. I will heal my people and let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will cleanse them from all the sin they've committed against me. And I will forgive their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor. Before all nations on earth that hear of the good things I do for it. They will be in awe and tremble at the prosperity and peace I provide. As I, as I read this again just this morning in kind of preparation, that last sentence really struck me. I remember when we were planning to move here, one of the prayers that really seemed to stick in our hearts was, God, would you bring a revival, renewal? Would you redeem this city of Lawrence? As I read this this morning, it just kind of really, it meant something to me. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before Check that out, all nations on earth. I've thought about all the people from other cultures we have privilege of being with. All nations on earth will hear of the good news, of the good things I will do for it. They will be in awe and tremble at the prosperity and peace I provided. Aren't those great words? Maybe we need to make that kind of part of our prayer out of Jeremiah 33. I want, I want to play these prophecies forward now to where we are Advent. I want to, I want to go to a night on the outskirts of Bethlehem. I want us to hear from a choir of messengers from heaven who are singing the arrival of Jesus. If you've grown up in the church, you know these words. They're singing to a group of shepherds. Man, as we sang that last song, What Child is This? I never thought of the shepherds Guarding the child before as that as that song gives words to, but if you if you know any shepherds you 've ever met true shepherds, like i 've come across a few shepherds in other cultures, and not that they 're all the same, but the ones i 've come across they they strike me as as people of very few words, but they 're kind of the, also the ones you would really like guarding your baby, and uh, I just think about those. What it must have been like for those guys that night. And so here the angels singing to them, Glory to God in the very highest heaven. And on earth, peace. To those on whom his favor rests. Can you picture that? Can you envision that moment? Angels singing to Grimy shepherds in an obscure place, worshiping angels announcing the arrival of a prince. A prince of peace. So, I want to tell a story in Jesus' life. We've looked at it before, about four or five years ago. But as I studied this week, this story really stood out to me as an example of our Messiah bringing peace to a person. So in Luke chapter 8, I'm going to read the story, it's not very long, it says, as Jesus was on his way, he was nearly crushed by crowds. And a woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. Can you imagine that gloom? No one could heal her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, people are crowding and pressing all around you. Jesus said, somebody touched me. I know that power went out from me. And this is an interesting statement. then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. Isn't that an interesting statement? I mean, she somehow knew she wasn't going to hide, going to be able to in that crowd. In the presence of everyone, she told why she had touched him and how she had been healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. That's fascinating on so many levels, that story. Try to get inside the plight of this woman, this poor woman, as much as you can. Sick, socially unclean. For 12 years, there's no medical help available to her, just bleeding. Luke, who wrote this story, was a physician. He likely had seen conditions like this before. Low on iron, anemic, constant cramping, back pains, dizziness, perhaps fainting, bleeding. They could have been symptoms of an STD. Could have been endometriosis. Could have been ovarian cancer. We have no idea what the diagnosis was or whether she even knew. What we do know is her body was pretty much wrecked. You can imagine she was an untouchable person in that day and age. She was also financially destitute, who tells us she had spent everything she had to find a cure. No success. A broken, undignified, unapproachable woman eking out an existence in a place that wasn't hospitable to people like her. Try to imagine her life. There are no resources in the community to help her. Probably utterly on her own. Existing in the suffering not just of her body but her mind and her heart and her soul. I can only imagine that gloom what that must have felt like for her. And then picture if you can people pressing in on Jesus in the middle of that. Like Happens like what happens when a celebrity is nearby. And somewhere in that pressing, this lady works her way through that crowd, shuffles through this mass of people, and approaches courageously, but yet timidly, all at the same time, just to touch the thread on Jesus' tunic from behind. She's not asking for anything. She wouldn't dare ask Jesus. Wasn't that kind of person probably. She just wanted to silently touch him. So I want you to notice her. No one else was. But someone noticed, didn't they? Christ noticed. Who touched me? Can you hear that question? Now the question was misunderstood by probably everybody who heard it. He, they probably heard it like this. Who dared touch me? The text bears that out. Women didn't approach men publicly in that culture. And to touch a rabbi like Jesus was unthinkable. So the disciples, I can imagine, started working the crowd. Who touched him? Was it you grabbing arms, maybe grabbing necks? Finally, Peter speaks up. Uh, Lord, the crowd is pressing in. Lots of people are touching you. (laughs) That was a good point, but Jesus wouldn't take that for an answer. No, someone touched me. I could feel the power go out. It was a very awkward situation for everybody. And then this woman comes forward. Somehow she finds whatever the gumption she needed, and she not just comes forward, Luke tells us. He's very descriptive. She comes and she's trembling. And she falls. She falls at his feet. Now she's no longer invisible. She's been found out. Worse, she's been called out by Christ. So there she is, embarrassed and trembling. It had taken everything she had just to touch the thread. And now she's before Jesus and Everybody, humiliated. But she's also publicly telling her story to that crowd. She feels like she has no option. So Christ addresses her with the word daughter. That's a nice place to start, isn't it? Daughter, your faith has saved you. I think when I've read this story, of course it's a moving story, I've often stopped there. I haven't really grasped the significance of the last three words. Go in peace. Go in peace. It was as if the physical healing I've given you, your faith wrought that by the way that you came to me. But there's more work to be done. Go in peace. The favor of God. What the angels sang about God's peace on whom God's favor rests. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about just wholeness of body now. Go in peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It may or may not include the absence of conflict. You can have God's peace and be in great conflict. You can have God's peace and have terrible circumstances. In your life. Peace is presence. Not absence. Go in peace, he says. Go with those people who have the humility to admit they can't give themselves peace and the courage to come in their need. Jesus came to give peace. That's what it means to be Prince of Peace. Jesus talked about peace. He once told his disciples, peace I leave with you. Brian mentioned peace as bestowing. Christ bestows peace. The the, the word he uses here in John 14 when Jesus is talking about peace, it's a really rich word. It means I bequeath you. You like that word, bequeath? I I like, you're going to inherit this from me. It's going to be my gift to you. My peace I bequeath you. I leave it with you. In case there is confusion, he says it again. My peace I give you. world will not give as I give. He says. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. There's a very weighty promise. My peace I give you. He's not trying to be trite. He's not trying to be cute and say something that sounds really pithy. He's making a pledge. My peace I give you. I bequeath it to you. Christ is striking a contrast between peace that the world gives. He's clear to say, I'm not doing that. Because the world can only promise peace and it cannot deliver it. The best the world can do with peace is Favorable circumstances. That's as good as you can get from the world. And good luck with that, because those are going to run out. So Jesus says, I don't, I'm not giving you favorable circumstances. It's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about the American dream. I'm not talking about being debt-free or having 3.5 beautiful, healthy children. I'm talking about something very, very different. Prince of Peace is giving us something. And to us a child is born. And to us a son is given. I want to to close with a question and then unpack just a couple more passages and then we'll be done. Some of you struggle with peace. I have. Depression's been part of my story. So what do you do when peace is elusive, when it's absent in your life? I want to share just a couple of scriptures. I used to think that peace just was just something that kind of like emanated down, it just kind of fell on us, and we had nothing to do with its acquisition. I want to share just a couple of insights from God's Word. I can only like open this can with you. There's much more we could say about it. Isaiah twenty six three. Isaiah wrote, You will keep in perfect peace, God, he whose mind is steadfast, for he trusts in you. This passage states a condition on the part of the receiver, doesn't it? Do you see it? You will keep in perfect peace, he whose mind is steadfast. The peace of God comes from Christ, it is given. We cannot create it. It has divine origins. To repeat, it is given. But we have a part to play in its reception. We're not absolved of involvement in this. What is our part? Isaiah names it here as a steadfast mind. A state of trust. A dependence on Christ. A mind fixed on Christ. This is really, really important. To learn to live in a life of peace, we have to learn to control our thoughts. It's a part of it. This is so helpful in times of discouragement. In dark times and instability, a steadfast mind trusting in Christ. Not perfectly. Throw that out the window. It's not an option for you. But consistently returning. Christ, I look to you. You are my shepherd. I will not lack. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil for you are with me. A f- steadfast mind. Passage number two. It's in the book of Colossians. The apostle Paul wrote this. in the New Testament. <clears throat> in the middle of this long, dense passage on discipleship, he writes this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule here is an interesting word. It means to decide, to control, or to issue a ruling. It has like an athletic dimension to it. As in, let the peace of Christ be the referee or the umpire of your life. Let it rule. Let the peace of Christ be the ruling principle, the umpiring of your life. The peace of Christ is available. I think that's what this is getting at. But we must allow it to be so. We must welcome it in our situation. So here's the deal. God didn't just slam peace down on us. But it's there for the having. Okay, number three. I'm going to throw a curveball at you now. Listen to what Jesus said. He's saying this right in the middle of the height of His I guess popularity. He says, do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. Whoa, what? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Did not come to, For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Christ is quoting a prophet here. Did you know that? Micah. You can look it up. Micah chapter 7. Here's, Christ, here's what Christ is getting at is this kind of peace that, that he's talking about that he came to give it finds its home in the life of a radically committed disciple of his it comes from authentic and unrivaled allegiance to Christ it's there for the taking but God doesn't play games with us his peace is there as we become fully his And that's our life journey, right? Christ is saying, if you can't lose your life for me, you're not worthy. He says, my peace can't be there for you. He's not saying you're not good enough. Let me tell you, you're already not good enough. He's saying, if you want to know this, this kingdom presence, then you live your life fully for me. And when you slip, you come right back. And as you do, peace is going to take hold in your life. Jesus refuses to dumb down unwavering discipleship to him. Just so you can feel better. Just so we can have a group hug. The peace of Christ finds its home through radical discipleship to Jesus. And if we don't get that, we're not getting it. It'll just be this like Christmas card thing. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth for whom his favor dwells. If you want to go beyond that, then you have to become a disciple of Jesus. Peace is a condition of the heart and of the mind flowing out of relationship with God through discipleship of Jesus. So, let's feel as good as we can about Christmas. I don't know if you're romantic about Christmas or not. If you are, Great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to know the peace of God, it'll find its home when you say, Lord, my life is yours. Whether or not you even get a Christmas card or not. That's where the peace of God is going to find your heart. Last verse. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God. Notice this. Paul's a brilliant psychologist here, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. Sometimes what we really want is just to feel better, right? You have physical pain, just want to feel better. You have relational conflict. You just want it to end. You have unfavorable circumstances in your life. You're some of you're going to go home for Christmas and there's estrangement waiting for you. There's conflict at home. What we really want for all those things to get fixed, and healing and health may come there. But Jesus is talking about something very different. Than just favorable circumstances. Here's the deal: it's possible for you to have peace, even when your body's wrecked. Otherwise, this is just a shell game. It's just a cross stitch on the wall. It's possible because let me tell you why: you're going to get older, your body's going to start hurting, just because you're getting older. I I, I don't know that personally. I've just heard that from a few people. Hard things are going to happen in your life. So peace is not going to mean absence of hard things. It's a presence in the midst of the sometimes hard things. That's a very different thing that Jesus promises. Sometimes it's accompanied with feeling good. Sometimes, maybe not. Peace is a condition of the heart and the mind flowing out of relationship with God through discipleship with Jesus. The band's going to come and sing a song. By the way, let me, let me say this as they come too. For those of you who struggle with depression and peace can seem so elusive and you struggle with anxiety, that can feel like, so much like fear. Peace sometimes has to even accompany those things. Now, God's peace has the capacity to displace many of the symptoms of depression. But they all don't always get eradicated. This is important to understand. Because there's often biological factors at play in some depression. We don't understand it very well. No one does. So don't hear me saying God's peace will mean never depression again. It may but there's more going on in our, in our persons than just the soul. The soul is the totality of us. We have a mind, we have a heart, we have bodies. So when we have peace and depression at the same time, we open our hands to God and we cry out to Him and say, help, help me through this. Help me walk through this darkness. He may, he may remove the depression. If He doesn't, you say with the psalmist, Even though I walk through this valley, I will not in into my fear. Does that make sense? It's very important to understand what, what Christ is promising. His peace in the middle of gloom will be enough for you. It will be enough. And it will be good, His peace, in the middle of difficult times. So whatever comes from the hand of the Lord, it will be enough for you. I pray it will come with good feelings for you. If it doesn't, steadfast mind, you trust in him. And you'll, you'll experience that abundant life. Okay, let me pray. The band's going to sing a song called Prince of Peace. We want you just to take it in. Take in the lyrics and just be with it. As they sing towards the end of it, uh, they'll invite you to join. It's probably a new song for most of us. I'll invite you to stand and join. Let's let's pray together. Father, we want to just confess to you that we understand so little. And we wish our lives just always felt like a Hallmark movie. But God, really, that's not really what we want. That's not what our soul longs for. Our soul soul longs for that place that's connected with you, that's living in your kingdom through discipleship, through following you with this unwavering allegiance. We know, and if we don't, God, we want to know that place of being with you in your kingdom. Thank you for being our Prince of Peace. That you give that. You came to give that. God, would you help us learn that way of living in your peace? Even as our bodies get older, as our circumstances bring trial that will bring anxiety and fear at times to us, would you meet us there, not just in our hopes, but our fears, and bring your peace? Lord, you are good. Thank you for coming. We pray in Jesus' name.